watch a video. Really? What? Not just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh huh. What's your favorite scary movie? I can't drink for this podcast. It's too much. <laughs> Hello, horror hounds, and welcome to the It Slays podcast. I'm Rowan. It's Exilia. And this is Mike. And it is episode seven. Uh, well- Slash also t- like a. 12 really if you count the bonus i didn't actually count the bonus episodes but we've it's, been it's bitter many. that we don't I'm number very, the bonus i'm episodes. very bitter honestly i want everyone just to be a number now because i have to keep track of it and it's quite a feat <laughs> uh oh yes yeah, so us humanity students trying to do math <laughs> is not fun also warning um Mike and I might also be three sheets to the wind, so this is going to be quite a loose episode, as Rowan would say. <laughs> a loose and fast episode. They don't call us the Boozers Club for nothing. That's right. Well, me and Mike call us the Boozers Club, because Exilia doesn't like her name. Oh no, now the grievances are coming out on the podcast. <laughs> The great dirty laundry. This is the dirty laundry episode. (laughs) (laughs) Like, watch what happens live with Anderson Cooper. Except it's this is watch what happens on Skype with X Row and Mike. Exactly before recording and after recording. Also, like this is us Monchi Street after like everybody's left the party and it's three of us just like fucking hammered and just like going on about whatever we talk about but yes, i feel very emotional the whole it. like oh absolutely and that's the whole like vibe we're going for anyway you know it's like this is gonna be the the point where historians pick out where the group started to this the fame got to their head the fame <laughs> this is this is when the um e true hollywood story voiceover kicks in <laughs> And then it and it slows smiling. down, and it's like us in slow mo, and it's like, and this is when it all went to shit. <laughs> so now, much. so now I'm going to do a shameless plug. If you uh, don't want to see us break the band up, <laughs> I didn't know this is getting this serious. <laughs> it, it took a serious turn. <laughs> and. Anyway, if you <laughs> if you'd like to become a horror hound, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash it slays podcast and get perks and be cool and I mean you're cool if you listen to it and download it anyway, but you get cool things. Like cards that we've almost mailed. <laughs> Okay, guys, I've I spent so much time making these cards. Handmade. Handmade cards, trust me. It took me an evening to make out make <laughs> the cards. But um She sacrificed a whole hour and forty five minutes. <laughs> no, maybe forty five minutes per card. I got tried to get a little bit like, experimental on one of them and I kinda of fucked it up so I had to like cover it, but that's okay. I'll be They're on. handmade. That's I, about it's it's the aesthetic. I hope you're uh, hoping for when you signed up for Patreon. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest, guys. When you get the cards, <laughs> let me know if you think that 45 minutes and they look like that <laughs> is not a good thing. Hey, <laughs> that's mean. <laughs> 
They're very nice. We will be sending them out tomorrow. <laughs> they are very, I mean, uh, they're okay. Like, honestly, I can do what I can do. <laughs> I hope you like them. So what, uh, what have you guys been doing? What have you been doing, Mike? I've been, I've been watching films. <laughs> I've been reading some great books. I've, I've been playing some great video games. I will not lie. I've been wasting too much time playing video games, but we won't go there because it's Overwatch. You know, <laughs> it's Overwatch. Overwatch, yes. And Dead by Daylight, which is horror related. Um, Oh, also, um, I don't know if anybody knows this game or has ever played it, but it's beautiful because it's this, like, um, asymmetrical horror game, and you can get it on, like, all the major platforms, like consoles and PC. And um, one person plays the killer, and four people play a survivor, and you're put into, like, a map. And there's all these generators that, when you're a survivor, that you have to repair, and then it powers the exit gates, which you open up to exit. But the whole time you're trying to do that, there's a killer with, like... Um, each killer you play has, like, different powers, and, like, some of them can, like, teleport, or, like, you know, like, one of them is, uh, you know, well, actually, several of them are from horror movies, so, and you you know, you try to, like, evade the killer while also repairing generators and getting out. Um, Wait, this sounds like the one we watched you on Twitch. Yeah, you did. You, you did it. watch me on Twitch playing it. Yeah. Oh, um, it's it's my favorite thing sense. to Twitch, and um, but they do have uh, also licensed killers because they've been like kind of really gaining, I guess, a lot of traction. They have Freddy. They have um, Leatherface. You got the pig from the Saw movies. You know when Amanda puts on the pig mask or whatever in like the third or fourth one. Um, who else? Oh, we just got Ash actually from the Evil Dead. Funny that's enough, cool. as a survivor, yeah. So that's really cool. And uh, Bruce Campbell did a couple voice lines for him, which was amazing. When you said um, licensed and- killers, I thought you meant like hitmen for some reason. <laughs> no, 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 like and like Michael Myers. Anyway, it's yeah. uh, it's lovely. Yeah, and uh, so they just uh, leaked someone. Um, found a glitch in the game when they put out a new update that showed who the new killer was going to be and it's going to be Ghostface from Scream which is really cool so oh, I'm very cool. excited about that and anybody who like plays horror games and is into horror movies is definitely going to be excited about that are you still playing this on Twitch? oh I always play it do I Twitch it? not all the time but I will certainly play it more on Twitch and if anybody wants to follow me on Twitch it's at Jacobian Tragedy <laughs> okay well the last time I Twitched was last weekend Mm -hmm. and it was not planned um i was at a party and i got horrifically drunk now we're not talking like i was having a good time we're talking um i could barely form a coherent sentence i was slurring my words and i came home and i texted my friend Haley. shout out to Haley, um in who lives in prince edward island and uh she had also been drinking all night so i knew she was probably still up and i said let's get online and play some video games so we got horrifically drunk at two o'clock in the morning decided to start playing video games together and twitched and it's on my archives and it's really embarrassing (laughs) i've rewatched it a couple days later and it was just two of us like you know just playing games and screaming at each other and screaming at the tv and not like being barely being able to form a coherent sentence it was awful but you know what it's so what have you been up to exilia Yeah. Oh, Jesus, what have I been up to? Thanks for agreeing to the question before I asked it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Rowan and I went to Detroit, and that was a very interesting experience. Why don't you speak a bit more more on that experience, Rowan? Uh, Yeah, it was was interesting. I did not uh, 
enjoy driving in Detroit. Uh, it was the bane of my existence. He literally thought we were going to die every second of the day, the whole time there, and he was just, like, cursing the whole time. Yeah, uh, but, I mean, the things we did get to see were cool. We put some on the Instagram, uh... So we saw a bunch of, like, the It Follows locations. We ate it. Okay, so on It Follows, um, Jay and Paul, no, sorry, Jay's sister Kelly and Paul work at Clark's Ice Cream and Yogurt in Berkeley, Michigan, which is in the suburbs. And we went there once and we're like, oh, we're here. You you know, might as well get some ice cream. It was fucking delicious. So we ended up driving there the next day, even though we didn't even go to Detroit the next day. And it was phenomenal. So shout out to Clark's uh, Ice Cream and Yogurt in Berkeley, Michigan. And um, yeah, it was a very interesting spot. I don't think I was like mentally prepared. I think I'm still processing Detroit a little bit. I don't think I was fully mentally prepared for to go there and then the second day we went to cleveland and we went to the zoo because yeah the zoo was awesome we saw gorillas and a gorilla came up to me it like came through its like tire hoop and like came up to me and just laid in front of me and picked at its teeth and um it was adorable obviously and they had like kangaroos and the kangaroos aren't really constrained to any area they just like hop in their grass and do whatever they do, eat it, I guess. And then they hop across a path. Like, I kind of pissed off a kangaroo by accident because I was taking a picture of it. <laughs> and then it literally just, like, bolted in the other direction and hopped all the way, like, across the the lawn, across the path, and then into this, like, waiting area to go into you were its in house. its fucking space, man. Yeah. You were, like, I know. invading its space and, like, taking a picture and documenting I, it. I know. You Me were, and- like, a colonizer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Me and Rowan had this conversation about zoos. I know, this is so off topic, but hopefully maybe someone will find this interesting. (laughs) But me and Rowan were having this really big conversation about zoos when we were there. And it's like, you love them because it's it exposes you to animals you'd never, ever be able to make a connection with in real life when you're living in, like, Canada. Um, And you, like, you love them, so you care about them, too. But also... It's like you're taking these wild animals and putting them in this, like, confined space. And that's, like, very problematic, obviously. So you have this really, like, oh, I know this is, like, at some level wrong. Also, there's, like, a lot of conservation efforts. But at some level, this is wrong. But then also, it's, like, you're, like, I like this. Oh, it's definitely, um, you know, a very kind of, like, ambivalent feeling. For sure. For sure, yeah. So let's get into our movie. Let's bring it to April Fool's Day, 1986. We'll play the uh, trailer for you right now. Paramount Pictures cordially invites you for a weekend getaway at the party... To end all parties. This is the craziest party that could ever be. Don't turn on the lights, cause I don't wanna see. April Fool. Welcome to my home. And lifestyles of the rich and undeserving. Wrong. Join eight privileged guests who are just dying. To have fun. Wow, what is this? The bridal suite? You like it? The ladies. I find a use for it. 
The gentleman. <laughs> we, we, we did, on the first day. The young. Well, basically, I possess a, an essential lack of seriousness. And the restless. You are such a jerk. Everyone is having such a good time. It's scary. Is something wrong? You're dead. Radio is blasting. Someone's knocking at the door. I'm looking at my girl. She passed out. Nikki! April Fool's Day. Get ready to party till you drop. Um, my DVD of it is so old that there are no features on it. I don't even think the trailer is on the DVD. I think that widescreen 16 to 9 um, aspect ratio was, was like listed as a special feature. Well, <laughs> and I'm like... Putting it in the aspect ratio that it was filmed in is not a special feature. <laughs> I'm I sorry, but that's how old it is. I I bought that. I bought the DVD of this movie when I was like 14 years old. Like it was sick. I didn't. My, oh, sorry. You go ahead, Rowan. No, I was gonna say I didn't. Uh, I was gonna say because I didn't put it. I didn't write it down for the facts or anything. But uh, when I was reading about it, this movie, even though there is like footage they've never released. This movie doesn't have a release that has any special features. Like, all the DVDs never had special features, I was reading. So, I'm kind of curious, because, Rowan, I assume this is the first time you've ever seen this. Yes, yes, it is. Mike, this is also the first time I've ever seen this. How did you first see this movie? (laughs) Okay, this sounds really scripted, but Um, it's actually not. (laughs) No, 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 no. Um, So, you know... (laughs) In our introductory episode, we talked about, you know, spending a lot of time in video stores mm-hmm. and going to the, like, horror sections. And this is one of those movies that, um, you know, when I was a youngster, and of course, as we know by now, I was, like, eight years old and I'd be in movie stores looking at horror movie sections because, you know, I watched my first horror movie when I was in, like, the third grade, which was probably not appropriate. But anyway... Um, and this was one that always, the cover of it always struck me, that, like, artwork of, um, you know, the girl standing back on with the, uh, you know, raising a toast with one hand and hiding a, you know, butcher knife behind her back with the other. This and was the cover? And in a noose. And, yeah. um, you know, oh. she's standing up giving a toast essentially at the head of the table, and it's all the characters of the movie at the table. Um, toasting back to her and then she's holding a butcher knife behind her back and her hair is tied into a braid that is a noose oh and that, interesting. that right and it's 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 really cool cover <clears throat> and um to me it's sort of iconic and um i for years like my whole childhood i was just fascinated by this and you know i turn it over and look at the pictures on the back and the stills that they put on the back of the vhs were just you know they sort of caught my attention and intrigued me and um it was probably a few years into my um, horror, uh, you know, growth phase or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I had seen, you know, the first couple Friday the 13th movies and I realized that my favorite Friday the 13th final girl from number two, Ginny, played by Amy Steele, was in this movie. So I was like, cool, I've always been intrigued by the cover of this movie. There's this cool actress that I like in it. Who did she So play? I rented it. She played Kit. The, the essentially the final girl. 
Oh, Kit, the yeah, blonde, the blonde yes. hair. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so I just, you know, that was like we rented it at a sleepover one one night when we were like, you know, 13 years old or something and completely fell in love with it. And, you know, it was like not unlike anything that I had ever seen. So, um, you know, that just sort of intrigued me and I kind of fell in love with it at a young age and that was it. I've only seen the, the picture that Rowan posted and it's like it's her with a butcher knife and there's people at a table so i definitely didn't oh see yeah that's that, like, like a fan art that's yeah. like a fan art oh yeah. okay yeah that's all i have seen about this movie also i didn't look anything up sorry this is really willy-nilly for me <laughs> no but that's good but... that's good because you're, you're coming to it fresh yeah. i never came to it fresh so so i thought it was really interesting because it's it's mike's pick and mike has seen it many years ago and Rowan and this is me and Rowan's first time and normally it's just my first time because I'm podcast pleb and like I never see these movies I love that I got to bust your guys as April Fool's Day yeah well and I uh because I've heard of it like I've seen the cover before like the cover is very iconic and people seem to really like the movie actually I was gonna say it has a it has a devoted like cult following it's yeah. one of those like 80s 80s kind of underseen gyms that um people really latch onto and get mm-hmm. attached to yeah i just i i had just never never seen it it's i don't it's one of those things when like if i was listening to another podcast or i was reading something and like i've seen it brought up and i'm always like oh like i gotta see this and uh i think i don't know a hundred percent but i think i saw the remake the direct video one <laughs> And then Rowan Ooh. showed me the remake on the tr- like the trailer for it, and I was like, "Ooh, like very good." <laughs> um, and I, in full disclosure, um, <laughs> before I I was googling something after I had rewatched it yesterday. Um, and when I went on IMDb, because of course I pull up the IMDb just to you know sort of reacquaint myself with all the actors' names and things like that, I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> There is a remake. I had no idea that there was any sequel, remake, anything like that. Like, I thought that this was just it, and that was the end of it, and apparently nothing ever dies. You can't bury a movie and let it rot in peace these days. It's, you know, (laughs) fucking exhume its corpse and dance it around on strings like goddamn Weekend at Bernie's. I was just going to say, like, uh, my my main note was this movie is odd. (laughs) <laughs> and nothing is explained. <laughs> it's true. There's so Oh, many- it's a very odd movie. And I think that's why when I watched it as like, you know, whatever I was, like 13 years old, um, it really stuck with me because it was, the, the tone was just so off. Like, it's not what you expect. You go in and expect this like serious, you know, dreadful, deadly, um, you know, serious slasher movie. And the whole time it's just like, you know, nothing is the the the, the tension and the, the atmosphere of it is just not quite right. Mike, I love you, but I gotta disagree. It was called April Fool's Day. I was expecting some April Fools. <laughs> yes, and it starts off and it gives you April Fools. But the whole you get damn the... thing is April Fools. <laughs> okay, but see, and now, now, and now, but this is. This is good because it leads to a discussion of, like, um, exegetic materials. What does that mean? What that is exegetic? It's, like, outside of the text. <laughs> okay, so outside of the text. Okay. You're, you're just looking at the movie, right? Whereas, yes. um, like I said, because my experience with it was um, the now outmoded video store VHS tape, 
which you know presented you with stills and you had a cover and you had a description of the movie and my first viewings of it were filtered through the expectation that was given to me by the packaging and the marketing mm-hmm, for sure. right whereas you just came into it and watched it like and that's yes. what we do now we have no expectations like sometimes yes. we don't even watch like trailers are not even yeah. as big a deal as they used to be except mm-hmm. if it's for like a marvel movie well right? and you and you have to kind of think of it in the context of this podcast you picked the movie and i didn't know anything about it i've never seen it i i didn't watch a trailer and and i just watched the movie right so you have to think about it in terms of that context that's not i don't mean that in attack on you or anything like that but yeah like we it's really interesting how we watch the movie because we're watching it for the podcast well yes and it, and and this is sort of you know uh, an issue in terms of any like obviously reading of a piece of art is mm-hmm. Every person that watches it is bringing, like, whatever baggage they have and expectations. Like, your expectations and your, like, fucking psychological baggage and shit is completely different from mine coming into it. So, you know. That's why I actually, like, like, love doing this podcast because it's so, like, that's, it kind of, like, gets to that a lot. Because most of the time, I've never seen the movie a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, like, let's face it. um, You know, as humanity students, we sort of are more uh cognizant of this maybe than a lot of people but obviously like every time you read a piece of art like whether it's like a song or a book or a poem or a movie or you know like a painting or a graffiti or whatever like it's you know just like the fucking completely subjective nature of it you know like there's no objective way and you know like critics flame me alive whatever um there's no there's like literally no objective way to read a piece of art you can't like even even um you know like if you study like literature and you do like close readings and stuff like that where they kind of teach you to pick apart like you're parsing sentences and stuff like even that you're bringing your own sort of like psychological viewpoint to it Mm-hmm. Like even parsing a sentence to me is like a socio-political act, and it's very personal. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if that makes sense. Because it can be any anything to anybody, no matter like you know, it's based on your perspective, right? Your your worldview. Yeah. Um. Okay. So there's a feature on IMDb that I'm not gonna lie. I've been using it since I was like 14 or 15 years old. Like back when it was just nobody knew what it was. Honestly, you know, guys, he... I just have to tell you, Mike is the human IMDb, and that's how I've known him for seven years, as the human IMDb. Yeah, I've been called that more than once. <laughs> I'm not that good, but it's, like, for random I mean, weird shit. I you're pretty like, good, because you're, like, saying all these names, I'm like, I have no, no fucking clue. And honestly, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, um, sometimes when I get together with, like, other kind of geeky people, you know, of our ilk, our our people, our brethren, our sestrin, our everything in, um, <laughs> and they're like, oh, you know, and it's, like, some random, you know, character actor, and I'm, <laughs> I'm like, honestly, I don't know who that is, I know their face, but, like, I mostly know the actresses. <laughs> it's like, you if it's do. the women, I, I don't know any of the dudes. I know the actresses. And don't I think even that's go to the like, website, in... guys. Message Mike. He oh, knows. yeah, absolutely. I like from, you know, being like 10 years old and becoming a feminist because of slasher movies. It was like, 
always like fuck the dudes it's all about the women <laughs> i love that but, story um, i just like so, i love that's how you became a feminist and i know you talked about oh my god yes episodes yeah, yeah, yeah. Love, that's just how well i mean Sorry, you know <laughs> it's there's there's lots of you know complaints in like terms of you know academia and shit about like film studies and like slasher movies and stuff like that and i feel like maybe it's outdated to say that like a lot of feminist film critics think that slasher movies are misogynist because slasher movies are still now sort of a relic of the 80s and then that burst in the 90s but uh i don't know that's a really simplistic way of looking at it and like for a youngster like myself who (laughs) obviously was watching movies like this before perhaps they should have been intellectually but i didn't have the capacity to you know, like, absorb anything intellectually from these movies. All I got was, like, the women always fucking came out on top and were smart and kicked the dudes' asses. So, you know, to me, that sort of turned me into a feminist. And then when people were like, oh, girls can't do this or that, I'm like, fuck you, girls can, like, kill Jason, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, that, I think that's really interesting. And I think, <laughs> I know we always talk about academia because... That's where we're in, and somehow that becomes, like, you know, that's our reality, so we end up talking about it. But just because a, a lot of academics say, like, oh, you know, like, horror films do this or that, you know, not everybody gets that out of something. Like, we all have different worldviews, and we're all going to get something kind of, yeah, of course, culturally, diff- like, the same, but we're going to get something different about it, about it. And you became a feminist because of this, and so many academics would say, like, slasher films are problematic but that like helped you yes and i get from a like adult intellectual perspective how that argument is valid Mm -hmm. but unfortunately um you know if you divorce your intellectual arguments from sort of concrete material reality which is a youngster watching this movie and actually taking something from it yeah you know like somebody who doesn't have the intellectual capacity and just sees yep. something and sort of and you know again that that same argument that i'm making can be turned on its head and that like you're watching somebody kill people or whatever but like if if it's a youngster and especially and and now here's the thing it's and this is the twist of it it's especially if you're like a youngster who is like on the outside yeah and not you know what i mean like if you're a youngster on the margins for whatever reason and Mm -hmm. you know you're like othered or and then to me that's when you really identify more with like the final girl even though you're like a young boy you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like you identify with them for whatever reason you might not understand it you don't know why you identify with them um or like them so much or feel attached to them but you know like to me that's the sort of material reality that like criticism really can't touch Mm -hmm, (laughs) and and it's not it's it's just you know what i mean like it's it's beyond this like abstract theorizing no for sure because quite frankly when academics think about things they think about things in their own lens like how they've experienced life and if I, you know, I hate and love academia and a lot of people who do academia though are, you know, 
come from a privileged position. They really do. And they've only really seen a privileged vision of the world. And they see a very able-bodied vision of the world and someone who's, you know, their age when they're doing their research or whatever. So, you know, their 20s or 30s or whatever. And um, they're thinking of people and thinking they think how they think. But they don't. They don't, they kind of ignore the people who are younger and, and read it or people who are not as like educated and read it. They only think about themselves really when they think about how it's being read, but they don't really have any grasp of how anybody else reads it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, it's not to, to make any sort of like, cause you don't want to sl- slide in that slope of no. it's elitist or anything like no, that. But I mean, for sure. you know, obviously there's, there's a, a place for like a rigorous intellectual Mm -hmm. discussion or critique of any idea or piece of art. And there's also a place for, you know, more like the material, uh, you know, lay persons. Yeah. It's always, in in sociology is always theory versus praxis. Exactly. Yeah. And And theory is, theory is the more academic side and practice is the, like, the material reality. Right. Yeah. It's like the more practical everyday live thing. And I certainly don't want to get into the elitist blah, blah, blah bullshit because I find that always tends to come to, like, I'm not trying to get political here, but it always comes to, like, this right wing thing. And that's really not what it's about. Yes. We're not going to go there. Certainly not in that realm. But. I have lived in academia and I and and so have you and we we understand the workings of it and and some people in academia are privileged and study about things that they And you can love something and critique it. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's what it comes down to. You can you can be a part of something, you can acknowledge that it's formative, but also be critical of it. Exactly. And that's what obviously everybody should be doing about everything. About everything. Exactly. There's so many wonderful things that come out of academia, but um, nothing is perfect. And you certainly have to critique everything in in the world, really. I'm going to take my Wonder Woman golden lasso and I'm going to rein it back (laughs) in and um, go back to the IMDb. Yes. (laughs) Where we started this, you know, very boisterous discussion. Um. And the point I was making was that I've been on IMDb for a very long time. Um, Like, it's something that, as a film lover, um, you know, both, you know, quote-unquote, like, film with a capital F, and films as in trash and garbage, and, like, TV movies, and all that shit, and, like, shit, student films, and all that. Like, IMDb has always been something that um, has been very useful to me, and... Um, you know, ever since I sort of like hit my formative years and my teens, it's been, uh, something that is very central to my like cultural consumption. But despite all this, and I'm sure this is something that has been on there probably since like the late nineties or early thousands, there is a segment of IMDb and I'm sure every movie has it. And it's, (laughs) this is again, going to sound ridiculous. I didn't know this was a thing, but it's, plot keywords oh that's interesting and and to to be honest this is something that i've always sort of noticed in the features of imdb this is on imdb but never actually clicked on it and for some bizarre reason today um i was sitting down on my laptop and i was writing notes in my notebook and i saw that and i clicked on it and it just opened up a whole new world for me 
So <laughs> this is here's I've the never thing. Heard yep. of it either. So there are plot keywords for every movie on IMDb. And um I will tell you right now, in case you are curious, they are user submitted and they are spectacular. Okay, I'm so, I'm so tell me more. We are so witnessing interested. this is Botticelli's birth of Venus. <laughs> But it's birth of a new feature on our podcast. Amazing. And it is Mike doing IMDb plot keywords. Yes. So okay, tell me more. A, I've never seen this. Oh, yes, please. I've got, bitch, I got you covered. <laughs> so for April Fool's Day, 1986, we have 111 plot keywords user submitted. What? I'm obviously not, I'm not going to list them all out, but I'm just going to like kind of cherry pick and dance through the the user submitted plot keywords and phrases that um apply to this movie everybody and can add a keyword it, it, yeah it's so wow. and i mean you know and it's 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 kind of a cool idea i'm so that, you know, excited if there's an element of this movie that is not um you know that's kind of random or whatever but that might tie it to another movie that you want to watch of the same thing like if it's yeah. like satanic worship or whatever and you want to find all the movies about satanic it's worship it's kind of like on a that. hashtag thing in the way it's, that like the it's TV... sort of and yes and that's that's sort it of where i was going it's like things. it was a proto hashtag because i feel oh, like it's probably been cool. there for like 15 or 20 years and i just yeah. haven't realized it so this was like a proto hashtag so we've got oh, plot keywords I love so it. you know you've got your ones that you expect like prank college student of course yeah teenager and i'm like actually there's nobody in this that's a teenager so that's because they very clearly state that they're in their early 20s and they're you know in seniors in college yeah Yeah. um so anyway you know and then you've got like teenage boy teenage girl which is uh, again not even accurate but okay so you're you're saying that there's two genders in this movie okay fine (laughs) um so let's Might move be down. Accurate, let's, but let's let's move into going. the um, more specific and sometimes esoteric plot keywords that have been user submitted. Twenty something, fair enough. Twenty <laughs> year old <laughs> characters murdered one by one. Okay, cool. I'll give it to you. Uh, supernatural power. Nope, not even <laughs> no, relevant to this what? movie at all. What? Um, but now let's let's get into the specifics. Collapsing chair. Oh, oh, what? Spraying like, water on someone. Oh my god. Shout out to the uh, people that are putting these keywords on IMDb. <laughs> no, th- listen here, sweetheart. Just wait. They're doing God's work. Mail unzips his zipper. Oh my god. Who even Friendship. Friendship. No. Like just literally every movie that ever existed. So. Motorboat, weird. which is not the motorboat that I immediately think of, but an actual motorboat. <laughs> um. Giving a toast. Oh my god. Eating. <laughs> Letter. What? What was Ex-junkie. that? Ex-junkie. Crying baby. Abortion. <laughs> Doll. Oh photograph. God. What? These Apology. Oh, hang on now, but oh, they're generic. Three-word title. What? Breaking... Breaking the fourth wall by winking. Oh my god. Severed penis. <laughs> male underwear. Bare chested male. Whoopee cushion. Soccer. Again, not even relevant to this movie. Hot dog. There's no hot dog in this movie. I'm sorry. Oh, they are playing soccer in the field. Oh, but this was that soccer? I don't know what that was. It, it was, was some so, kind of weird. They were like kicking um, a ball of some sort. Pu- 
punctuation in title, boat dock, apostrophe in title, um, female in a swimsuit, rich kid, booby trap, hanged boy, fake hanging, castration, surprise ending, which of course is actually relevant. Do they Just think the hanging sex. is gonna be real, <laughs> like, not fake? These are hanging. these are the these are our IMDb keywords for April Fool's Day. Shout <laughs> out to all the people that came up with the most obscure generic to all the people who and put them on IMDb. Registered for an IMDb account <laughs> and spent, I'm sure, hours of several days composing one to four word words and phrases. You so know these people didn't just do could... it for April Fool's Day, though. Oh, they you didn't. know they no, do and it that's for what I'm every saying. That's what I'm saying. They spent days, you know, <laughs> sitting in that computer you. chair. Like, thank you for making sure that I could find this movie in the sea of ones that have severed penis and severed head and collapsible chair. And and uh, the collapsing chair. Though, Twenty like, year old. <laughs> I mean, yeah, those people. Good for you. And I to be fair, there are probably did. not a lot. I'm sure, like the percentage of movies with collapsible chairs is probably in the <laughs> like low. two, two to four percent range <laughs> of movies ever best. created in human yes. history. <laughs> of every movie ever created that has a collapsible chair, not even two. I'd say it's like one point seven to. 2.1%. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> yes. So anyway, that's that's my new feature and um, if you guys go on IMDb before we record the next movies, I will murder you. That is so funny. This movie was definitely one of the oddest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> it uh, was definitely the one of the oddest movies I've ever seen. Um... I feel like Mike's gonna be so sad. I I don't give a shit. <laughs> it was, to me, it was just like it was interesting because, like, I'm throwing into this world the context of people's like personalities is never explained. No, it doesn't make any sense. I, I like I don't know when they're like joking or not joking. I know, and it's just like, and also like. Yeah, it's just odd is the word, because everyone's, like, a little off. Like, there's something not right, I find, about, like, everybody. Okay, full disclosure, I fell asleep. We were supposed to watch it on Tuesday. We watched 40 minutes of it, and I fell asleep. That might have not been the movie's fault. It might have been my fault. Um, (laughs) Wednesday, I watched the same 40 minutes of it, and I fell asleep. Also, might have been my fault. So today, Rowan's like, Oh my god, we gotta watch this movie. <laughs> so we watch it. Okay, the first ten minutes or five minutes when they're like, I'm Mary O'Reilly. Mary O'Reilly O'Shea O'Hara. <laughs> I'm just like, whoa. Most, like, stereotypical Irish thing ever, first of all. That's what's <laughs> so like, funny about it. That's what's so funny know, about it. I know, but then I'm like... I, I for real forgot who Because she's Irish was. and she's like, I'm going to convent school. Yeah, and she's like, and I like, I'm an Irish like, nun. <laughs> rough sex or whatever she says. But like, I'm just like, so the whole movie, I'm like, who the fuck's Mary O'Shea O'Reilly O'Toole? <laughs> who the fuck is this? 
this person and why did they say this like i'm so confused her name is nikki i watch it three times before i ask rowan and rowan's like i'm like who is this mary o'shea o'reilly o'toole and why does she have the most stereotypical irish (laughs) (laughs) and then he's like oh i think it's that girl in the it's a joke (laughs) it's a joke (laughs) why do they do that i'm so confused and as we've addressed in prior episodes i'm very concerned with the logic behind movies and i actually didn't realize that i was concerned with logic so much until i started doing this podcast but i'm like why did they do that what's the point of it it's this thing called character development (laughs) (laughs) and i will say and it's one of my notes from like halfway down the page but um i guess i'll start off because i feel like um to me, this is the most important element of this whole movie. Um, okay, it's thank what, you. It's it's why I fell in love with it, and it's why Mike, to this day I'm I so glad you're here to be my guardian. Okay, I will be your guardian, and I will guide. I will be your lighthouse. Um, like to me, the single greatest thing about this movie, and um, I know it's, you know, it's not a quote-unquote great movie like i know that i know it's got plot holes i know that there's a lot of problems you can have with it but like again i watched it when i was young and Mm -hmm. i i it endeared itself to me not Mm -hmm. particularly because of its plot which was really cool and and unusual for the time um it was very like ahead of the game in terms of like being um like self-referential and like knowing what horror movies were doing but it was because like the actors, even if you couldn't understand what was happening between them, they everyone was so natural and um, they were all so charismatic and, you know, it didn't seem like you were watching a bunch of actors. Like, to me, I was watching it and it wasn't like, oh, this is the stock character and, you know, like, to me, they were real people and they were just mm-hmm. having fun and, like, I watched it and I was like, oh my god, these people are, like, so cool, you know, like, when I was a youngster, like you know, they get along really well and they like banter and, you know, to me, they had so yeah, much like, like charisma friends. and yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they, they seemed like real people and they just had like way more charisma and magnetism than I think. I mean, what, this is 86. This is literally like the middle of the eighties. Like, you know, when slasher movies are at their boom and everybody's putting them out and it's all just like the worst actors you could imagine. And, you know, even the big money making slasher movies and stuff the characters and actors in them were you know awful at best <laughs> the you know? only person i and really cardboard. found uncharismatic was nan she was like such a wet blanket. oh yeah and and that's the thing and she is the wet blanket so it's, so it's, it's like funny such a that, personality like, yeah like it, her personality was and and to me that was realistic because mm-hmm. we all know people that are wet blankets and have no fucking personalities right like <laughs> i feel like every group uh, this sound may sound really stereotypical stereotypical oh my fuck stereotypical but every group i feel like kind of in some way or another kind of like i hate cliches and i hate stereotypes and all that but like at some point there is a balance in every friend group and i feel like there's like lots of different personalities in friend groups i feel like there always has to be a friend like some friend in the friend group that's kind of like the voice of reason and i feel like nam was the voice of reason yes she was definitely the wet blanket she was you know the one who was not gonna drink too much and not gonna have too much fun and i'm not gonna say who that was in our friend group but yes that's like realistic and like to me that that's what endeared me to it all these years 
Um, it's like the realness of their personality. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 you know, like now, obviously 20 years after I, more than, yeah, 20 years after I first saw it, um, you know, a part of my, my fondness for it is nostalgia, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but a large part of it is because, you know, even at like 14 years old, I had watched a lot of horror movies. I would go to the movie store every single weekend and rent, you know, five or six of them. And we'd have sleepovers and just like watch horror movies all night. And I would never remember any of their names um, Mm -hmm. with very few exceptions, you know, like not, none of the characters would really stick out to me, but this was one of the first movies I think I ever saw where like a slasher movie where after I watched it, I, I could remember the characters um, and, you know, like their personalities and the actors and, you know, like to me, that was such a huge difference. Like they were really charismatic um, as opposed to a lot of the cardboard people at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, obviously from 1986 to 2019, you have a huge leap and, you know, there's been a lot of uh, movies since then where, you know, like obviously they take more care with um, the casting and the writing of characters and stuff, but like. You know, in 86, this was as charismatic as you could ask for, really. So, did you see this at Blockbuster or at another, like, video place? I rented this at East Coast Video. Because I was in... I've literally, like, as a child, my dad used to take me to Blockbuster. And he would always, like, take, take his time to find the video he wanted. And I would, like, as we kind of talked about in the introduction... Idiot. The introduction episode... I would always just stare at the covers. And it's kind of like a book. Like, you don't want to judge a cover by its book, but I mean, by its cover. I mean, judge a book by by its cover. You never want to judge a book by its cover, but for real, you judge a book by its cover. Let's be honest here. Oh, absolutely. I'm a very vocal and firm um, supporter of judging a book by its cover, and... Um, quite, quite honestly, my if you're gonna if you're gonna throw thousands of dollars behind, yes. and I know that's you know like even for an independent like small publisher, you're throwing thousands and thousands of dollars behind a book cover design. Yes, for sure. Like you if know you it's care about the book, it's yep. very important. And yep. like I will pick up books and look at them that I never would otherwise because they yep. had um a some good kind cover, of, like, riveting cover. Yeah. Yes, you know Martha. She has the exact same philosophy. If they think it's a good enough book to sell, they're going to pay money to have a good cover. Yeah. And it's the same with the movie. And I used to go back and forth through those aisles looking at the covers. Because quite frankly, my dad might have let me pick one movie ever so often. And if I was going to pick that movie, it was going to be a damn good movie. Because I knew I wasn't going to get it all the time. And I had never seen this movie. I had never seen this movie at Blockbuster. Yeah, I feel like it wasn't a real, like, Blockbuster pick. Um, Again... Um, I feel like it didn't, you know, make a big splash and it probably didn't make a whole lot of money. But I feel like even at the time in like the late 80s and like early 90s and then late 90s, it was more of like a cult pick um, Uh because we actually didn't have when I was growing up, I was probably in maybe junior high before the first blockbuster opened up in my town. Mm -hmm. Um, And before then, it was all uh, we had, you know, local three or four. It was like local, if not. Newfoundland based 
companies like Atlantic Canada. Like I feel like mm-hmm. East Coast Video maybe had three or four um, locations like across. Locations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like maybe in no- Nova Scotia and stuff. But um, you know, it was very even that was very much independent, and um, you know, you'd go in there, and it was very much like a vibe suited to the town. Yes. Um, and they had a very specific and odd selection, and they had a lot of random things, and. You know, I'd go in there and find these fucking insane, like, random, like, three on a meat hook is one that I... Oh, yeah, I remember that from the internet. Yeah, we won't even go there, like... (laughs) But, you know, like, things that you would never, like, maybe obscure and, like, grindhouse-y stuff and exploitation that you will not ever find anywhere ever again. And then um, that same building. It's because those movies were about as high budget as the movie places you went yes. to. Well, I mean, but you'd, you'd go in there and the shelf would just be blocked. Every shelf yes. is blocked with titles, yep. right? Um, and so it was a matter of like just going in there and just spending hours looking through, like reading the backs of them, looking at the yep. stills, like what sounds good. And then the same, it was just funny that we're bringing up East Coast because that building. Um, got bought out when blockbuster came to town they bought out that building and i guess the company and then reopened it as a blockbuster and the selection went from you know i mean i'm just throwing out random numbers now but like say you went from having ten thousand movies Mm -hmm. crammed just crammed onto every shelf everywhere in the store yeah to like three or four thousand because it was all faced out you'd have one copy faced out and it was just such a different um, it was experience. more mainstream. Yeah, like it was very mainstream. Was yes, and then mainstream. and then all of those like bizarre, obscure movies that like you know had probably been out of print since the mid eighties yep. disappeared because they didn't yep. keep the selection. They were like, nope, we're just gonna we're gonna feature whatever brand new title there is. And you know, back in the day, you couldn't go on Netflix and watch it, so you had yep. to have five hundred sure. copies of you know speed or whatever yes. and had like a whole everybody had to get it. it all the people yeah. in town had to buy it at the same time yeah. or rent it at the same time it's really interesting that you're talking about this and i know this is like a you know a side note from the movie as well but we had uh like i think what that's was it the name of the episode <laughs> i was gonna say episode. we we will have to say <laughs> this episode is not actually about april fool's day it's about <laughs> consumption Red. of videos yeah, yeah. so we anyway had, you go well, ahead well, what was it called? 10 to 10 video in Kenful, which was right beside the like IGA at the time. And they had like movies and they had porn in the back. And like it, it was a real video store. It was a real video store before, before Blockbuster, to be quite honest, because so many people, and I'm realizing this, there's actually one Blockbuster store left and it's in Oregon. I always love to be conist. Conist? What do you mean? Well, you you were saying a word, and then you said honest, and you said, "Oh, sorry." Like I'm, I want to be honest. Sorry. (laughs) Like you know, there was life before Blockbuster. Blockbuster is a huge fucking corporation that kind of oh, it swallowed up any like individuality. Yeah, exactly. And like a lot of we always talk about our nostalgia for blockbuster but quite frankly there was life before blockbuster that i like comprehend in my comprehends and rowan comprehends and and blockbuster is really like the corporatization of movies but anyways i'm not gonna get into that because no, but it's funny that you bring that up though and and we're we're this is gonna be the episode where yeah. um officially we sort of get away from the movie 
this yeah. might be this might be the theory episode. Um, <laughs> the theory episode. But yeah, like when you think about it, um, and uh, I think a good uh, example of this is you know the recent release of Captain Marvel, which was you know awesome and we loved it, made shit tons of money, and loved Brie Larson and all that. But there's such a great moment in it, um. You know, because it takes place in the 90s and she she comes back to Earth and falls into a blockbuster. And it's the whole like it's essentially a, a scene designed to like prick that nostalgia in people mm-hmm. who are like, you know, yeah. either late 20s or older and get a laugh. And like, yeah. I remember, you know, me and my best friend went to it with um his son, who was 10. And we actually I can't believe sing- I'm sorry. I can't believe he's 10 now. Oh, he's like, 10 years so old. old. He is. He's 10 years old. Um, and we actually had to say to him during the movie, both of us <laughs> slightly separately said like, oh, this is why that's so funny. And like explain to him during the movie what a video store was. Yeah. And, you know, it was funny. And and part of that is because obviously it like really digs at the nostalgia of everybody who went to a video store in yep. their like teen and tween years. And that was, that was, that was good. And that was funny. And, you know, you realize that they were like kind of digging at nostalgia, but um, anybody who was really into movies and is maybe like even a couple years older than that, like you said, realizes that there was life before Blockbuster because Blockbuster is yeah. actually when you look at it, Blockbuster is kind of what killed. Yeah. Like video consumption. Like I know yep. they're all like, oh, Netflix came and streaming and mm-hmm. downloading and pirating. Yep. And yes, obviously all of that stuff changed the way that we consume uh, films media. and TV and media, mm-hmm. but Blockbuster really um, busted down that door yeah. in terms of um, like giving you a selection. And again, as we, anybody who is you know of a certain age knows, Blockbuster would not carry movies that were unrated or that yeah. were rated NC seventeen or anything like that. And like a lot of a lot of horror movies were you know unrated or they were nc-17 because of you know and it was stupid and again there are movies you can watch there are documentaries um that talk about how the rating system like literally one one two second caught in a movie could make the difference between it being R and unrated exactly um and it was very arbitrary depending on who was rating it but um it was this mesh of like cultural agencies that essentially decided what you could and couldn't have access to so whereas we had you know before the blockbuster swallowed up that beautiful independent video store that we had had in our in our small city um you know like i said i could go there i could get three on a meat hook i could get girly i could get april fool's day i could get puppet master friday 13th on Elm street whatever i wanted Mm -hmm. you know but i had all and then i'd go there and like the the people there knew their movies they didn't give a fuck they liked movies they liked them you know blockbuster came and the selection like literally just turned nothing and like to me okay yes the the new forms of media did alter the way that we consumed our tv shows and our movies but blockbusters kind of like um hideously and it's not just the capitalist aspect of it but it's also the pandering to let's face it they were like pandering to middle american like quote unquote family values they're like we're a family store we're not carrying anything that's unrated 
And that was essentially really, like, the death knell of having, um, a true selection. Like, they were, they were not catering to movie fans. They did not no. give a fuck about film. They did not give a fuck about, um, fans of movies in general. Um, they wanted families to come in and rent the big new release and buy a bag of popcorn. That's the thing that I find so interesting because, like, I mean, we've fallen into this trap on this podcast talking about the nostalgia of Blockbuster. And I think it's interesting because Blockbuster is something, it's a big company. And like I said, it's very much the Walmart, like the Walmart of movies. Well, I mean, they have it in their name, Blockbuster. Blockbuster. They don't. They don't give a fuck about indies. They're blockbuster. Well, like it's literally the in their fucking. It's name. about yeah. blockbusters. So uh, you know, someone who's listening in Florida, someone who's listening in fucking Oregon or California or wherever, England. Like I don't know how far Blockbuster's reach was, but it's it's a corporate entity. Entity. So blockbuster. It's like I said. It's like Walmart. So yeah, we're gonna all have this like you know this experience of going to to block like blockbuster the store but really that's exactly it it kind of died when blockbuster actually became a thing because that's exactly it blockbuster didn't want to carry india stuff blockbuster carried things that were marketable and it killed like 10 to 10 video or candyland video or allen's video in st john's although that i must admit had been going well into the time rowan and i lived there which was like I mean, it might have shut down in 2012, 2013. I worship Alan's video. Alan's video, like, man, they, they like, stayed alive. And actually, I, as a joke, sent Rowan a, a job ad because we're moving back to Nova Scotia. And I sent him a job ad to this place in Berwick, Nova Scotia, which is very rural. But they're hiring somebody for eight hours a week to work at a video store. And this is a local video store. It's not a blockbuster. And I just, yeah, like, that is the true, like, independent thing. Because they're going to have shit that they're going to carry. And they're not going to care, really, if they make money off of it. Like, Blockbuster did. The je- the fucking jean jacket? That is Slash Doily. Okay, oh my god! Okay, so yes. Okay, yes. segue. So, after she goes into Mayor- Mary O'Reilly O'Shea O'Toole... Um, my, literally the first note I have written in my notebook about this movie is, Nikki, is she wearing a doily? (laughs) Like, this bitch is wearing a goddamn human-sized doily with a massive jean jacket underneath. Okay, so to rein this in a little bit, let's, uh, let's at least talk about the movie for (laughs) ten minutes. So, I figure let's talk about, uh, you know, what we... The the points we liked, we didn't like about the movie, our overall feelings without rating about it. Okay, I have a thing I really liked about it. I really liked when they were in the room and they had the picture with the cat clock behind it. <laughs> and they took the picture off and it was just the cat clock moving its eyes. Mm, that was like high high culture meets low culture. I love that. There's something about that. In Greenwood, there's a whole store that has cat clocks, and I just like wanted a cat clock. So it, I just like really love that part. Okay, so that was a <laughs> cutting analysis of this movie. <laughs> Thank you for that. 
you're welcome. Honestly, one of those cat clocks, I looked at the price and it was like $80 a cat clock. And um, I was very envious when I saw this movie because I was like, they paid damn damn well $80 for their cat clock. And I wanted it. I mean, the, the cat clock certainly, you know, didn't really fit into the decor of the, you know, no. country manor. Because honestly, when, when they came in, they're like... You know, oh, it's so beautiful, which is great because, honestly, the landscape was quite gorgeous, actually. It didn't really look like, I mean, they didn't really specify where it should be, but I'm assuming the states, from their accent and just from, like, general knowledge of where movies are sent, are generally sent, I mean, this place looked like it was freaking Thailand with the goddamn scenery. It's beautiful, right? I've been to most of the states and, like... It looked like it was Thailand. Let's be honest. It didn't look anywhere in the States. Um, So they go... I'm pretty sure it was filmed in, like, BC or something. Yeah. Yeah. Not even... Like, I... I'm pretty sure that was a Canadian island they filmed on. Well, this is the thing. Like, I've been to most of the States before besides, like, Kansas. And I feel like nowhere there is, like, looks like that. And, um... It didn't look like anywhere I've ever seen. So anyways, they come up to this place and it's actually quite beautiful scenically and um they go to this house so they were like oh this is such a beautiful location such a beautiful home but it's it's like very obvious in 2019 almost through 2020 that this home is set in the 80s right because you look at it and it's very like very like heavy wood everywhere Besides the size, I really wouldn't be that impressed because it just looks like this home from the 80s. Okay, so here are my thoughts on, um, I, I did actually have notes on the, the sort of, um, the clashing decor themes that happen on the island. Um, like yeah. I said, when they, the, when they show up, of course, um, Nikki, aka Mary O'Reilly O'Shea O'Toole. Okay, is that um, who it is? Yes. She, okay. she goes, oh, gross, or something like that. Um, because, you know, they pull up to the island and all they can see is trees, but, you know, once yes, they get off the dock, then it opens up and it's this beautiful, you know, um, house and, you know, you got your dock and the smaller houses that surround it and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so they get on this island, and they have this immediate, like, all they see is trees, and, like, it's it looks kind of wild, but then they break out and realize, oh my god, it's this fucking gorgeous, um, like, and to call it a country manor is really, um, doing it a disservice, because it's- It's like an estate. It's a mansion, it's an estate, it's mm-hmm. got, you know, like, the kind of satellite buildings, like a guest house, I guess, and, you know, um, wells, and, uh, boat houses, and things like that, um, but then- what once you get inside and um you know we've got the really lavish like dining room and living area and the area overlooking you know they they pull open the curtain and realize that they have this beautiful view of like the rest of the island and the water and it's it's actually gorgeous and um you mentioned the wood paneling which i actually find um you know it is very mid 80s but it's it's mid 80s um let's call it mid 80s bourgeois like this is this was wood paneling of people who had money right so you you get there and your initial you this is all you see and it's beautiful but then um i find the jarring thing about the decor of the house in this movie is that once you move into like the kitchen or um Mm -hmm. the bedrooms it looks hideously cheap and it looks like uh the guest room out of somebody's cabin in the woods which is 
sort of technically, even though Muffy obviously has money, and this is, you know, a mansion, let's face it, um, all of their money went into, uh, uh, how do you say, you know, sort of the performance of it all. Like, you get in and your entertaining rooms, you know, your dining room, your living room, your um, communal areas, and then you go outside and they have, you know, the the area cleared out where there's, like, a, a net so people can play volleyball or soccer. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a moment when Nan, um, you know, after Nan uh, listens to the, the recording of the child screaming, and she's sitting outside and it's this beautiful, like... Um, ornate section cut out of the island where you know there's like willow trees and shit hanging over it and she sits down on this beautiful stone bench with a you know this like gorgeous uh statue behind it of like the buddha you know and it's it's very like nouveau riche um like welcome to our island you know here's our um signifiers of our wealth but then when they go into the bedrooms it's like it's just these hideous white beige walls and um really uh, the wood paneling in the rest of the house is like very dark and rich you know what i mean like it's very um like oaky and like mm-hmm. expensive wood but then once you get into the bedrooms it's very like cheap shitty um like kind of beige and yellow wood so it looks like something that would have actually came out of your parents or your grandparents um cabins or homes you know like in the in the mid 80s and i kind of like that jarring you know to me it sort of spoke to like uh you know, that kind of capitalist, like, they're nouveau riche, so they're putting on, like, they've got the outside of the mansion done up so that it looks, uh, you know, very imposing. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, the, the landscaping is beautiful, and that's, like, the, everything about the outside on the island, um, other than when they first pull up to it, is absolutely gorgeous. Like, they've clearly pumped all of their money however they make it, because, of course, it's never um, called out specifically ha- um, where you know, Muffy's, uh, the St. John's money comes from, but, you know, it is all very much about the appearance, and I just find it so interesting that, like, once they get into the bedrooms, which is, you know, when you're taking off your clothes, you're revealing, you're, you know, you're pulling off your mask, essentially, it's like, that's when they drop the facade of, you know, oh, this is, you know, you know, this very, um, well-off, we're very rich um, kind of atmosphere. And it's like, oh, here's your like semi-comfortable bed that you could get at Value Village for $20. They were, they were terrible beds. They were t- horrific beds. And I got uncomfortable just watching it. <laughs> I can't imagine having to sleep on them. I'm sure the mattresses would just be jabbing up into your back. Yeah, I I would think. I did not think they looked good. Okay, so what I really thought about the rooms were, like, it was really interesting because it was, like, very true to the, like, April prank kind of thing. Everything, like, those chairs that fell backwards, that once they fell backwards, they ended up, like, turning upright and the people fell off the chairs. I was like, this is such, like, this is a real, this is a movie that, like, takes April Fool's con into the nth degree, I feel. Like, it really follows through with the whole April's Fool's theme. Because I feel like April Fool's is, like, in our culture, 
maybe i don't know maybe this is just my perspective and how i see it but as i age i feel like april fools um becomes like less potent as like uh i don't want to i don't know if i call it a holiday but as like a day like it's certainly in our culture a, a like a specific day um and i feel like it becomes less potent because just because people kind of like have abused it a bit much but i feel like it becomes like just like it's like really it's really like april fools everything about this whole movie is like april fools and i just find that I don't know if it's, like, our culture at the current time, because I'm like, oh, maybe that's a bit cliche, or, like, at the time, I think they might have taken April Fool's a bit more seriously than we do these days, um, but, like, kudos to them for really following through, like, through on the April Fool's theme, but, no, in terms of, like, I thought, in terms of the bedrooms, like, I thought it was really interesting, but then, like, one person gets, like, S&M stuff and the other person gets this like fucking video recorder of like a baby's crying um the first 40 minutes they cut they they have like you know in the scenes she has a baby crying in her room and she's quite pissed off about it and I was really confused because I Mike what was her kill scene the girl with the baby's crying yeah Nan they didn't actually show Nan. Did I don't know. She it. she wandered off. I think. Yeah, she want because she was looking for Muffy. Yeah, she was looking for was, Muffy. But then they never showed anything. Yeah, because she was well, looking yes. for Muffy. She's looking for Muffy, and then because Muffy probably off screen explained to her instead of doing a fake kill, ex- probably explained to her like, "I'm sorry, this is what I'm doing. Let's keep you in the guest house or whatever." Unless until you have to jump in the. Well, I'm pretending to be dead. I guess this was kind of confusing to me because you have the two people that come to the well um, to get the water. First of all, that water looks fucking disgusting. So anybody who's going to get water there to drink, like, I'm I'm sorry for you. And then they're like, oh, maybe one of us needs to, to walk down because for some reason the rope doesn't work. They walk down. They have their friend Skip in well, there. They have their friend Art in there. And then they have this other random body. And the whole time I'm like, who the fuck is this person? Who was this other person? And then I found out who it's Nan. But I didn't realize it was Nan because the only thing you had seen of her was that she saw Muffy walk and at this point Muffy was acting kind of strange she saw her walk so she like ran down the stairs the most like just urgent run I've ever seen and then runs into this beautiful like garden area and then that's the last thing you see of her yes but to be fair at this point you hadn't actually seen anybody get murdered well right kind of seen Skip get murdered yes but they didn't discover his body they didn't discover his body yet at this point hadn't they oh yeah they find him on the dock after that yes yeah okay side note the dock this whole episode is a side note <laughs> they're making out in the 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 boat host right yes, yeah they're making out in the boat host and and his like corpse keeps like rotating rotating and they keep seeing it like come towards them three times because yeah. in my mind they're seeing it him flow down and they're seeing that three times in my mind that's how they see it no because the camera shows it and the camera just shows him floating underneath yeah and in my mind it shows him floating underneath three times 
But then they run to the place with all the rest of their friends. They're like, oh my God, has anyone, had anyone seen Skip since yesterday? And then they are like, mm, I haven't realized that they have. And one person's like, oh, like kind of didn't say it, but realized they hadn't seen him since yesterday. And they're like, well, he's fucking dead down there. Let's go try to find him. And it's like, you just saw his body. But they go into a goddamn forest with a snake to look for him. Yeah, they thought they thought it was a prank. And that's why they asked if anyone saw Skip because they thought it was a fake body. They thought But wouldn't if you prank. had seen a fake body, that's the first place you would investigate? Well, they can't get to it. It was underneath. Wouldn't you go back to the boathouse and look underneath? Well, they went to ask their friends. But they went to a jungle. No, that didn't happen. They like went that. to the forest, and then they asked their friends, and then they went to a forest, and then there was a snake that killed, that was attacking Art, and then he got killed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, that's there not was what a snake. There definitely was a snake. That's what happened. They said blah 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 blah, and then the people were like, "Oh, these are these virgin people coming back and yelling at us," and then they said, "Um, have any has anybody seen, um, Art?" Or no, so has anybody seen Skip since last night? And then people were like, didn't really say anything. And Art was like standing up and he seemed like he had said something. And then he went, like the three of them went to look. And then none of them went back to the beach house where they had originally seen the person. They all went to different places. And then Art went to the fucking forest. And then he got gobbled up by a trap and then attacked by a snake two times anyways they're in the room and the guy okay i think it's kind of funny how he like turns on the light and then he turns it off and then it turns on a different light and then he turns that light off and then it turns on another light i actually think that's kind of funny yes yes, that prank is quite funny it actually is pretty funny his pranks go yeah his, his pranks go also, I must say, like, um, I can't remember, honestly, one thing about this movie is I really found it hard to remember the people's names. Now that you say it, the person was named Nikki, and I can't really actually remember the guy's name, but they were having sex in the room, and then the art guy walked in, and, like, they were having sex in the weirdest way that I've ever seen anybody be flexible before. Oh, yeah, that was clearly hysterical because like you couldn't even tell like their legs and arms were all over the place no yeah i know it looked like a freaking like jackknife like i was like i'm um, i mean i wish i was that flexible yeah i feel like there was a third person in (laughs) under the sheets there with like their limbs just sticking out at random angles (laughs) i feel the same way i thought that was really interesting also his name was chaz that she was I know I was like oh no it's such like a 90s name Chaz the only other Chaz I know is Chaz Bono like Cher and Sonny Bono's son um so that's all it reminded me of it's just like such a 90s name like Chad and Chaz are such a 90s name but I just thought it was kind of hilarious how they had to like unplug the light bulb and the light bulb turned back on and they had to unplug that light bulb and that light bulb turned back on that was probably the best prank, I thought, in the movie that, like, made me giggle. It was giggle-worthy. <laughs> it was giggle-worthy. It was, it was a giggle and a half. That's the thing about this movie. Some of the things I was like, oh, that's actually kind of funny. But then some of the things I was like, <laughs> maybe I, that was above my head. 
So, um, just one of the thoughts that I had about this movie, and, um, you know, it's a slasher movie, sort of, um, mm-hmm. ostensibly, but as we find out, you know, by the end of the movie, it's actually sort of more of a horror comedy, um, mm-hmm. because there's no actual death, um, it's all, yes. it's all faked, you know, everything is sort of an elaborate prank, you know, through Muffy's, obviously, uh, crafting a murder mystery weekend so she can keep her inheritance but um one thing that i thought was interesting about it is you know despite the fact that obviously after the plot twist is revealed you think of it more as a horror comedy i mean it really is still uh, unless you give away the 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 twist you have to think about it as a slasher movie, as a horror movie. Yeah. And um, one yes. of the things about it that I thought, that I thought was really interesting, um, and that's, that even when I was a teenager and I didn't really understand it because I, I couldn't relate to it, is that it, it does set itself apart in the tone of the movie, obviously, from a lot of other slasher and horror movies. But one of the other ways that um, it really uh, differentiates itself differentiates itself from the pack is that um instead of your typical kind of teenage characters who are just like oh like i'm gonna go to the cheerleading competition or whatever um you know you have these are not just college students but they're uh like college seniors you know and they've had all these experiences and they bring all this like uh actual adult baggage and um what i find really interesting about it is that um, it's like a slasher movie where the whole time that uh, they're on this island, and um, as we discussed earlier, you know, they are all very charismatic, and they all interact with, you, with each other, and you get, like, this fair bit of character development, like, where they're just having these conversations with each other, and it's all very adult, and, you know, they're talking about, like, theater, theater and literature and their futures and, you know, what you're going to do, and... Um, your ambitions yeah. and things like that. And, like, the whole thing, instead of being about, like, uh, you know, say, for example, like, in a lot of them, you know, it's like, oh, you know, they finally have sex for the first time and then they die or whatever. So it's about, like, this sort of, like, your physical body, you know, blooming or whatever. But, like, this is actually, like, a slasher movie about being on mm-hmm. the precipice of, like, actual, like, social adulthood. Oh, and, yeah exactly. and it's it's all about like they all have especially like a couple of the characters like rob and stuff like they all have this anxiety and it's this like tension mm-hmm. about like the real terror for them is what am i gonna do i don't know if i'm gonna get into med school i don't know if i'm gonna be able to marry into this rich family you know like i don't know what's my inheritance gonna be or you know who am i gonna sleep with or what you know what i mean and it's just, just to me it was like the, the concerns that they had in it were so much more adult, even though it was still mm-hmm. very young people, but they were, like, in their early 20s instead of in their teens. And I just thought that was really interesting, and, like, maybe that's why this movie um, has appealed to me more throughout my life, because they're marginally more adult than most of the other characters in this type of movie, which is why, again, it's so different, and it has such a different tone. Because they're more mature and they're having the whole throughout the whole movie they're having more mature conversations about like art and life and you know what they're gonna do i can see that because for some reason a lot of a lot of horror movies tend to be like they kind of cast their characters as like teenage 
Which I think is interesting, but also I I'm like almost 30 and I don't really so much identify with teenage people anymore. But I, I totally agree. Like his girlfriend's so excited because he she thinks he's getting into med school and he like doesn't really want to say that he didn't get into med school, which is, you know, it is what it is, but it, for the person it's kind of embarrassing. So it kind of has that like adult issues to it. Like both of you said, like it covers kind of these ideas and topics and like not a, a large margin, but like just slightly more mature. The characters are coping with it, like you said, in a more mature way than like kind of a, like a stereotypical like Friday the 13th or something where they're like a little younger and it's just like a little more like we don't care about anything. We're just kind of. You know, like, it's summer, and we're, it's a summer slasher, so... But the really interesting thing about this, and I'm just thinking about it now, as anybody who's listened to, the like, this podcast since the beginning, I mean, there's always the joke that I'm the podcast club and blah, 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 blah and, like, Mike and Rowan are also, obviously, like, more well-versed in, in horror movies than I am, um, and I'm kind of, like, as we've said in the first episode, this is a podcast kind of... Part of it is is seeing my journey through horror movies and and a lot of I'm realizing a lot of horror movies are really just about about human anxieties about life. Oh, absolutely! I mean, that's really what it's about. There are a lot of um, you know, like film theory, uh, books and articles and essays, um, and ideas essentially that uh, posit that. Every generation, the horror films of that generation are just a reflection of Mm -hmm. the anxieties. You know, like in the 80s, you had your kind of like um, neoconservative, like your Reaganism. And so you see a lot of them. And that's when the slasher thing sort of really gained a foothold. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when you think about a lot of like kind of mainstream and like cheap shitty slashers and stuff, you think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, the ones who, like, have sex die, and the ones who do, like, social transgressions of any kind die. Yeah. And the the final people are all, you know, the, like, pure and everything. But, and that sort of speaks to this, like, sins of the father will be visited upon the son, and, you know, like, if you transgress socially, you'll be punished for it. And, you know, mm-hmm. that, and to me, like, it, it's, a lot of these theorists say, you know, like, the, the, the horror movies just mirror essentially um intentionally or not and a lot of them i think are unintentionally uh what's happening socially and culturally yeah. and politically yeah for sure and i think at at some point like yes of course there's a lot of like mainstream horror things but i think some of the themes of horror are you know still remain stigmatized and still remain out of the out of the mainstream like i know this is a really random example but um my friend from uh my friend cat from newfoundland came to toronto and and we got together today and we went to this like gothic store and it was like all gothic clothes and stuff and like you could tell from being there that's like very so much a stigmatized place and and I feel like horror kind of, like, still falls in the line with that. But with being outside of, like, the, 
in some terms, yes, it's certainly mainstream, like some aspects are, but some aspects are like certainly outside of the mainstream. And without that, I think you can kind of have like some sort of creativity. And and like I said, like Rowan and Mike are definitely like have seen a lot more horror than I have. But even through this course of like, you know, I know it's like seven official episodes or whatever, but 12 episodes. I know that's not a lot, but I've kind of seen, like, I've actually, like, kind of really, like, grown to really love horror movie just because it it does talk about these, like, social things. Like, it is actually, like, quite a social genre, and it talks about a lot of the anxieties we have socially in our generation, and it's actually, like... It's becoming one of my favorite genres, actually. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And see, and this is the thing. It's, um, you know, you look at, like, film with a capital F and um, mm-hmm. movies that, like, specifically and explicitly yeah. address, like, social and cultural and political issues. And they're all well and good. But horror is, to me, um, the best representation of, like, the repressed yeah example yeah. of for sure you, you don't realize maybe that you're making a movie that addresses and attacks and deals with the anxieties of your age our lives yeah, yeah. yeah. no for sure and like it's a very when... freudian phenomena i think you know it's, yeah. it's a psychoanalytical no and when you talk about how like i mean we've both I mean, we've all talked about how horror affected us at a young age, and I think I might be the only one out of the three that kind of, like, got away from horror. But really, when you guys talk about, like, I wish I was still into it. Like, in my, where I grew up, in, like, just my age group, I guess, like, horror was never talked about, it was never a thing. But if it was, I feel like I would have been a lot more understood because... As growing up, I was, like, certainly, I tried to, like, fit in, of course. I'm, like, from a rural area, and when you're from that place, like, you you try to be like everybody else, of course. But, like, I knew for sure, like, I didn't fit into that. And I feel like if horror was, like, more of a thing, or, like, just, like, different things in general, I guess, outside the mainstream were more of a thing, I would have felt, like, much more in place, for sure. And, like, when I hear you guys talking about that, I'm like, oh, damn, like, I wish I had have, like, discovered this when I was younger and not when I'm, like, you know, almost 30 and not, you know... You you heard it here first. It, <laughs> it's Lay's podcast converting people to horror. No, I feel like I think uh, it's really good. I feel like uh, what was his name? Uh, like David in the invitation. I'm like bringing people <laughs> into the call. Yep. Oh no, Rowan's gonna kill us now. No, but I just really like. No, I but just... we haven't we haven't lit the lamp outside the house yet. So. <laughs> yeah, not yet, not yeah. Yet. <laughs> Everybody has this fucking red lamp. No, like I just really like you know. And like we said in the first episode, and I never, like, obviously we say, oh, this is like, you guys are talking about this, and I'm talking about it, and it's my journey through horror or whatever. And, like, that can seem really superficial, but really, as I watch it, I'm like, you know, I kind of, like, I I really do enjoy it, and I kind of, like, find myself in a way through watching it, because I'm like, these are anxieties that I, I have as well. Well, it's more interesting for you to come at it from an adult perspective and be able to acknowledge that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I want to do a odd placement segue in that about enjoyment. (laughs) I want to know the ending. I want to know 
Were you satisfied with the ending? What did you think of the end? What was the, what was your feeling as it was happening? And then after it happened, like, was it satisfying? Was it? It was so unsatisfying for me. Oh, I but loved you it. go ahead, Mike. No, I, and again, I watched it when I was a youngster and, um, it was not very often in my viewing experience that you got a really twist ending like that. Like, I feel like since the horror resurgence of the 90s, um, twist endings were a lot more common and actually expected. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But when I watched this, I was a youngster and I had not seen anything like that. And, you know, this was a twist ending that completely essentially changed the genre of the movie. It went from being, you know a slasher movie to like a comedic thriller in a way. Um, For sure. And it was just so novel to me that I, I really enjoyed it. Um, You know, and I just, it, to me, the shift like that, you know, it's like a switching the key in a song or something like partway through it. Mm-hmm. Just, it completely, it threw me for a loop and I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was great. Um, You know, and again, it, it, you start off and you go, it starts off with pranks. It starts off with April Fool's. The title of it is April Fool's Day. Um, so really, it's a twist that is in keeping with the rest of the movie. And they foreshadow it because the whole time people are playing pranks. So I found it very yeah. satisfying. It was, to me, it was woven into the fabric of the movie. And see, I I found it unsatisfying because at the beginning of the movie, it was very concentrated on April Fool's pranks. And it was very, like, explicit about that. And then at the beginning of the movie, I was like, this whole movie is going to be about April Fool's. Like, it's all going to be April Fool's prank. And then I kind of, as the movie got on, I kind of got caught up on it. And I was like, what's wrong with Muffy? She's acting weird. Oh my god, there's people in the well. Like, I got kind of caught up in the whole story. And then um, at the end, when they're like, April Fool's, I'm like, duh, of course it's fucking April Fool's, duh. Like, why didn't I, I knew that at the beginning. And then I got so caught up in the story of it that I was like, oh my god, that picture in the office and the girl saw the picture and I bet that's like a twin, blah, blah, blah. And then it was, and it was Buffy and there's Muffy and Buffy and this whole thing. I got so caught up on it. And then at the end, it's like, bah, April Fool's. I'm like, duh, of course. So what you're saying is you didn't find the ending satisfying because the fact that they used good writing to trick you into forgetting about it (laughs) which was exactly what they aimed to do (laughs) that you're angry at that you're angry that you fell that you fell for the 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 structure of the story yeah okay i'm just i'm I'm just i'm just putting that out there i just wanted to check and make sure that you were angry that the, the screenplay was interestingly structured. did what yeah. it wanted to do yeah. right okay. exactly it did exactly okay. what it wanted to do and at the beginning i was like yeah this is a fucking april fool's prank because everything the chairs are falling over the fucking lights won't go off all this stuff it's obvious and it was like april fools and i'm like i hate april i just like as a human being hate april fool's day and i'm like oh, the disdain april. of april fools yeah just like out. april fool's day <laughs> see and i have like i had this weird thing like where Because when it happened, I was like, I don't really know if I enjoyed it. I was just like, this is like really awkward. It was awkward. And like I said, like I said, when we first started talking about the movie, like I was just like, like everything's just like so awkward about it. But then like the more I thought about it, I was like, 
it kind of like it gives it like that uniqueness because it's like such a weird film and it's just like it's so bizarre and the ending's bizarre it's so bizarre so and like especially <laughs> like you get the very end where like the the like the jack in the box thing like yeah. winks but, at you but that also comes up in the beginning it's like a carry through through the whole movie with the rat yeah, yeah. with the jack in the box yeah like yeah. So I don't know. I, I asked you guys, and I feel like I don't really know. I don't know. I feel like it, I haven't yeah. really processed my feelings on this movie, to be honest. <laughs> I just thought it was, like, such also one a one spectrum. It was, like, completely what I expected. But in, the not, in another spectrum, it was completely not what I expected. Yeah. That that's... doesn't really make sense, but that's, like, how I felt about this movie. <laughs> Well, I think this would be an appropriate time to read it, because I'm, now I'm very interested. I will give it, <laughs> of course I will give it a yay. I mean, it's not a sling. I've loved it since I was a youngster, but again, I realize that it's, you know, it's a flawed movie. But again, it, it played with the notions of um, being self-aware and injecting humor into the horror and plot twists and stuff like at least 10 years before any of those other, like, 90s resurgent horror movies did. So I think it just deserves some credit for that. And again, the writing was great. Um, the acting, the actors were all so, like, charismatic and interesting and memorable. So to me, it's a totally A. Go ahead, Rowan. I always have to go second. You oh, go second. I will go second now. This is this is tough. Uh so I'm gonna give it a nay, but I'll give it like a nay plus. Oh damn you! I'll give it a nay plus because I don't regret watching it. I'm glad <laughs> I watched it, and I even feel like I would watch it again in a gr- like. I feel like this is a great like uh, having drinks with oh, a yeah. group of friends. It's a slumber like, party movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. Like so, I re- I respect it in that, but like. I was kind of thinking it in a way of, like, would this necessarily be something I'd, like, outright recommend to someone that didn't bring it up? And then, I was, so I was just kind of like, ah, I, like, I don't think, like, I don't think it's, like, a, a must-see, uh, and I don't necessarily think, like, you ever really have to see it if you don't want to, uh... But yeah, I'll go with a, I'll go with a nay plus. Ah, oh, damn you! Well, you can go with that too. Okay, Mike, I love you like you're my brother, for real. I do. I'm the same way. I'm an A plus. It's it's like I feel like, and we've had this. Hum- we've like spoken about this before, and you've spoken about this in terms of you and Rowan. Like you have this nostalgic attachment to certain movies, which like. That has its own power, right? As someone coming into the movie and seeing it for the first time at 29 and a half years old, <laughs> I feel Bitch you like... you 30. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not 30 yet. November 22nd. Okay, so... <laughs> um. I mean, it was a funny movie in the way that it was like, oh, I'm Mary O'Shea O'Toole O'Neill, a fucking Riley O'Reilly O'Toole O'Shea, whatever. Um, it w- it was a funny movie, and it was like actually pretty comical in the ways, and especially at the end. But I don't know, there was something about it that really caught me off guard, and 
like we've addressed before, and nobody else cares, <laughs> but I'm a fucking nerd. I'm all about the logic of the movies. And I was like, what is the logic? There's so many parts where I was like, what is the logic here? I don't get it. I, I know I'm such a wet blanket in that respect. Um, Like I said, there was a part where I was like, I knew this was going to be a goddamn April Fool's joke the whole time. And I did get sucked into the movie. I thought, oh, damn it. That picture is Buffy. I bought fucking Buffy and Muffy, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. I th- I, like, very firmly, ever since I saw this movie, I thought also it would be a a nay plus. It's not, like, if you ever see horror, it doesn't, you don't necessarily have to see this movie. But if you want, like, you know, if you got a day off, if you got a Sunday off, and you you want a little joke mixed with a horror movie, (laughs) watch this movie. (laughs) Legit. So with having with having <laughs> our reviews, I think it's uh, only appropriate to go into everyone's favorite time, which is the budget game. Oh no, <laughs> Mike, you're so much better at this than I am. I'm the worst. So I, I like hack judged the last time, and I so we'll game. start off with the cost. How much do we think it costs to make two million dollars? <laughs> I'll say I I will be more generous than I was last time and say like seven or eight million. Okay, last time you said fifty, so Did I thought you say seven okay. or seventy or eight million dollars. So I so you said seven million, Mike. Yes, you're probably gonna win. You so, always win. Not by much, but Mike is closer to of the number. Course. It is five million dollars. Okay, and by the is way. It- um, I did not see that when I looked at the plot keywords on IMDb. <laughs> I could have cheated and like looked at it, but I specifically didn't. I'm, I'm very proud of you. Yeah, so I, let's talk about what it made. What do you think it so made? So how much did it? Sorry, how much? So you it, said it was five, five million. Five million dollars. Okay. Five million. Than okay. Me. I feel like it made it back. So probably like maybe it did make seven or eight million dollars. Now, I have no comprehension of how much a horror movie would make back in the day. Because you know what? I'm really thinking about my parents when they're 20 years old and what they're going to go see at the theater. Well, then use Um, that and make an educated guess. I know. I'm really trying to think. Maybe it made $10 million. So Exilia is going to win this one. Yes. It made twelve point nine million dollars. That's a solid return on investment. I'm just like trying to picture this showing at the Paramount Theater in Kempville, Nova Scotia, one dollar per matinee. Them showing they only have one fucking theater to show, and they're showing this movie. What was it called? (laughs) (laughs) What was it called? An April Fool's Day. Yes, I'm sure really Kentville, Nova Scotia is the, I don't like, think that was the market. Prime, prime market. <laughs> prime sample. demographics yeah. for this movie. <laughs> it definitely came to the Mount Pearl Theater. <laughs> definitely. For our target audience. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I only pulled a couple, like, facts, and they're kind of, I guess, different facts than what we normally do, because this has, like, a very rich... Uh, Rowan said it had a lot of stuff a written lot, about a it. A lot of a lot of stuff written about it as well as a lot of 
connecting factors to things. So we'll start off with what everyone Mike had brought up earlier, what he where he thought it was shot in Vancouver. Was it? Did you say that? Yeah. Yes, yeah, it was definitely oh. a Canadian like I figured it was probably oh. BC somewhere. For sure. Yeah. BC, that's like a hot spot for me. It's, it's an all-American cast, but it was shot in Vancouver. You know, that makes sense, because the place is really... I know I said it looks like Thailand, but honestly, I've seen pictures of Vancouver, and it looks like that. <laughs> yes, Thailand, <laughs> Vancouver, same thing. Whatever, same thing. Some some alternate titles. So, uh, in French, this movie is called Weekend of Terror in French. How the fuck... Oh, you mean in French, or it's not called Weekend of Terror? No, like in in whatever, in French. Because I'm assuming April Fool's Day doesn't necessarily translate to different cultures. That's very English. And in Germany, it's called The Horror Party. The Horror Party. The Horror Party. Interesting. So there is an alternate version of this that has uh, only ever been uh, released in Sweden. Uh, Shout out to Sweden. Because, so the Swedish version, they weren't allowed to have any violence in it. So they had to cut out anything that resembled violence. Is this a common thing in Sweden? I'm not sure. Back then, at the time it was released. So apparently it's a very bizarre cut because you don't see what, like, people disappearing. They just disappear from the movie and they're not in the movie anymore. <laughs> they don't show them be killed or anything. So there's no context to why people just start missing from the plot. I feel like they would totally not understand this movie. Uh, there's also a alternative ending that was never, it was shot but never released that had a more elaborate thing at the end. Uh, of course they did originally they had thought about it. she was going to be like, have escaped from an asylum and was crazy. Yeah, but the whole thing, when they get that note in the boat and they're like, Miss St. John. Yeah. And I'm like, it's fucking definitely not that one. That's definitely not Muffy because they didn't say Muffy St. John. It's definitely a the only reason the they did. The only reason they didn't use it was because uh, Paramount is who put paid for this. They thought that was too down. It left the audience too down and they wanted kind of an upbeat happy ending because they said that's what people want so that's why they changed it to that uh so this is directed by fred walton so fred walton is famous for when a stranger calls classic classic uh you know we never know maybe we'll review it sometime absolutely uh so it's uh written by danilo bach i believe is his name uh, and he wrote all of the Beverly Hill Cops movies. What? That's so random. So the last two are very <laughs> horror-connected. So it's edited by Bruce Green. Bruce Green edited Friday the 13th, 5, and 6. And also randomly edited Cool Runnings. (laughs) Oh my god. Cool Runnings was filmed in Calgary. They still have the fucking bobsled track that they use for Cool Runnings in the Calgary Olympic area. They still have that. And I'm pretty sure when I lived there, people were like, yeah, that's where they filmed Cool Runnings. And I'm like, great. Like, that's cool. Like, awesome. 
Man, didn't that movie come out in fucking 1990? I saw that on CBC on fucking Wonderful World of Disney on Sunday evening. <laughs> it's a very Canadian thing. <laughs> and the one thing I wanted to bring up was the music, because I actually, we didn't Okay, talk about, I like the I, music. I, the music is very well done. I, I really like it. Yeah. So the music is done by uh, Charles Bernstein. Who also did the music for A Nightmare on Elm Street? Oh, yep, love it. Kujo and Rumpelstiltskin, that great nineties classic. I've never seen that. I've only seen the several plays of Rumpelstiltskin. It's uh, the it's the Leprechaun, but Rumpelstiltskin. Kujo like with a dog. Yeah, it's based off Stephen King. Okay, yep. interesting. Uh, and that's all. The, that's really all the facts that I had for this that I thought were interesting. The the connections that there was a lot of people that worked on this movie that were connected to these iconic franchises like Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th. It's really unfortunate when people generally think of movies, they think of obviously the actors and actresses and the and the director. But, you know, there's a lo- actually a lot more to the movie than that. And, and these people have worked on really, like, iconic movies. Yeah. So giving those people credit. Yeah, for sure. And they and they really don't ever get credit. Maybe on Very our podcast rare. we're like, I love the music, I love the cinematography, but other than our podcast, I don't feel like they ever you get credit. You can only get credit in our podcast. <laughs> Check it out. But no, I, I I thought this movie is like a very interesting interesting pick now i have to do all the uh you know pay the bills and by pay the bills i mean just do plugs that i pay myself i guess (laughs) uh we do want to make sure that you're following us on all our social media hey what it was a bad segue (laughs) uh instagram twitter facebook it slays podcasts write us on facebook and instagram and twitter and we'll respond back i always feel so sad because i read a question on instagram and like a bunch of people like it but they never write a response i'm so sad engage with us talk write a response so auxilia has someone to talk to i know i need someone to talk to you guys and i also wanted to plug auxilia's uh Exilia's kind of bait. No, not exist. the blog. Oh, okay. Because we don't have anything on the blog yet, Exilia. Guys, <laughs> I'm really, like I said, I'm still processing my trip to Detroit. And I, I really I feel, got on to. I, I feel really like do I it. feel like Exilia could write a good blog about her uh, her liking of horror now. And and I mean, candy. I mean, Candyman, or sorry, It Follows, is the number one priority of the blog right now. Like, for real, I'm not even kidding. I'm still processing Detroit and just my experience there. (laughs) What I was going to plug, another one of Exilia's babies, is our Spotify playlist. Mike, you got to tell me more songs to put on there because I might have 12. So, It Slays Podcast, we have a playlist. I think it's just called... It It Slays Horrifying Podcast, maybe? I believe. We have ads for it on our social media. I'll tell you for sure. Exilia will look it up while I plug. (laughs) So, yeah. Go to Spotify. We have a playlist where we just pick 
songs associated with horror or from horror movies or score and just things that we thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy. Okay, guys, if you want to look this up on uh, Spotify, it's called It Slays Podcast Horrific, Horrific, Horrific Playlist. We officially have about 15 songs on there. If you have a great idea, and I'm sure Mike does because um, I haven't asked him yet, you might have some more great songs I can put on there. It is a ever-evolving playlist. I am a human being and I might not be perfect. So I might have only picked 10 songs. If you like other songs, please let us know and we will put it on our playlist. And our last bit of news is the bonus pick uh, has been chosen by the fans. Mike versus Evil Mike. Mike versus Evil Mike. And Evil Mike won. Evil Mike won. Evil Guess Mike what? Did win. Plot I'm a twist. Really surprise. Plot twist. They're both Evil Mike. Oh. They're both. Oh yeah. So Mike, do you want to announce what won? It would be my pleasure. Um, the winner was <laughs> the drumroll Witchboard to the Devil's Doorway. Ooh. I've never seen I'm this. I'm really intrigued to see this. <laughs> Um, it's amazing poster. Pretty random. Um, it does have great, and I'm pretty sure this went straight to video. Um, the artwork oh, is yeah. great, and I'm not gonna lie. Um, if I can find, I feel like it might be like up in full on YouTube or something. So if I can find a link to it, I will post it on our page just so that anybody who may actually be listening, if they want to watch it without you know going you know, out of their way to find it because it's kind of hard to find. Getting viruses on their yeah. computers. Um, you're not going to go on... I have on... to double check because I, I think it might be on the Tubi app. It might Tubi be. I, and I have Tubi. Well. I, I haven't um, I haven't checked. But either way, if it's available for free and um, readily, you know, without having to do too much work, I'll post a link to it. So, you know, whatever. Anybody that wants to watch it can. Why not? And with that, as always, thank you for listening. To us drunkards rant, the Boozers <laughs> Club is officially in session. Uh, as always, I am Rowan. Bye, Cecilia. And this is Mike. Mike.